Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. What a joy and privilege it is yet once again to be in the Lord's house. I hope you're excited to be in God's house this morning. See, y'all just don't act, y'all don't act excited. I just need you. I'll tell you what I ter- told the earlier crowd. I am excited enough for you. I am excited about what God is doing in the midst of the Coastal Oaks Church. I see your future, and God has given me great excitement about what he is doing. I hope you're excited about what God's going to do. I told the earlier crowd, it's a poor, my mother used to say, and my father, they both used to say, it's a poor dog that won't wag his own tail. And so in essence, I hope I'm not more excited about what God is doing in the midst of your church than you are excited about what God does in the midst of your church. I'm excited. I just believe God has great plans in store for you, and I hope you sense it. I hope you're excited about it. If you're not, shame on you, um, because I just believe it to be so. Uh, I don't know whether or not this is... I think this may be the fifth time, maybe even sixth time. It's not enough. Let's just say that I'm Amen. Amen. I I know it's a shameless self-invite, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I, I enjoy being here with you. Well, listen, my friends, we've got a long way to go, a short time to get there. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, will you join me in Exodus chapter 15? Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27 is where we will uh, commence our reading. And as you're turning there, let me just pray for us. Father, in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you with thanksgiving in our hearts. Thank you, dear God, for the privilege that is ours to be saved. And to be found in this high holy place, may we not take our gathering for granted, but with attitudes of gratitude and hearts filled with praise, we will indeed worship you. For God, you have been good to us. You have been a good, 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 good father to us. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do in us, through us, and even in spite of us. And now, God, as we turn our attention toward your word, will you speak to us? Will you challenge us and convict us? Will you change us as you continue to shape and conform us into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ? May we look more like him and less like the world. We pray and ask you for this for in the name of and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, by now you have arrived at Exodus chapter 15, around the 22nd verse. It's my custom to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we reverence the reading of God's Word together. I am just of the opinion that if we can stand to sing, we can stand for the Word. 22nd verse, 15th chapter of the Old Testament book of Exodus. Hear ye the Word of the Lord. So Moses brought... Israel 
from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he, talking about God, made a statute and an ordinance for them as he tested them and said, If you diligently heed my voice, or if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water, seventy palm trees. And so they camped there by the waters. Amen. That's enough. You may be seated. The presence of the Lord I read in your hearing, Exodus chapter 15, verses 20 through to 27. Allow me to use for a theme and thought and title this morning, Moving from Bitter to Better. Moving from Bitter to Better. In his 2001 best-selling novel, author Jim Collins penned this book uh, called From Good to Great. From Good to Great. He argued in that book that the enemy to great is good. He suggested that many of us think that the opposite of great is actually bad, and he says that no, the opposite of great is actually good. And he argued that many businesses and organizations never reach greatness because they they become so content with just being good. That they never really seek goodness or they never really seek greatness because they just be content with being a good company, a, a good government, a good school, a good church. And yet I stopped by this morning to say to us that God desires to do great things among us. And yet even though his book was a book on business, I believe it to be also indicative of what goes on in many churches, that many churches and individuals within churches become so content with just being a good church, friendly church that they never really seek to be great. But because we serve a great God, I believe we ought to be a great church. I'll say it again. Because we serve such a great, great God, we ought to be a great church. And the reason that I suggest that is because God deserves the best that we can give him. God wants to do great things in us, and through us. And so it's not good enough just to be a good church. 
we must be a great church. And while that is common also of churches, it is also true of us individually because God wants to do great things in and through you. I've got good news for you. You may not know that God wants to do great things. God wants to use you to accomplish great, great things. And you may be sitting there saying, who, me? Yes, you. God wants to do great things in and through you. That ought to give you a great sense of excitement and joy that the sovereign God of the universe wants to use you. Little old you. He wants to use you. I know that don't excite y'all on a Sunday morning, but that excites me that God wants to use me as messed up as I am, as bad as I am, as imperfect as I am. He wants to use you, me. I know that don't excite y'all. So what keeps us from being great? What keeps us from achieving the great things of God? Sometimes it is this idea that we want to keep doing what we've always done. We've always been content with being good, and if you keep being content with being good, then you never really achieve greatness. You'll hear me say this often. If you always do what you always did, then you always get what you always got. And I know that it's bad English, but it's good theology that if you always do what you've always done, then you always get what you always got. And if you always do what you always did, you'll never get where God wants you to be. And yet, unfortunately, in far too many of our lives and in far too many of our churches, we've become content to do the same old thing over and over again. But if you always do what you always did, then you always get what you always got. In fact, it is said that the most common seven or the seven most common words in the average Baptist church is we've never done it that way before. And so there is this idea that if we just keep doing what we've always done, then somehow it'll bring us different results. So let me remind you of the definition of transition. Because over the next, as I said before, that as we continue to walk with the children of Israel, they are a people in transition. You are a people in transition. This definition of transition is merely a period or process of moving from one state to another. It is the period, a time, a process of God moving us from where we were to where God wants us to be. We're in the midst of a transition, and each and every one of us ought to daily be in a position and process of changing, of growing, of developing, of maturing. Therefore, we're always in a posture of transition, a posture of change. Change is necessary. Change is necessary in you. Change is necessary in your church experience. And so God has us in this 
process of transitioning you, moving from good to great. So what are the lessons that we can learn? When I read Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27, I see five distinct scene shifts, shifts of scene that gives us five imperatives that we can learn from this morning. Can I give them to you? Before I give them to you, allow me to remind you of where we were the last time I was with you. Last time I was with you, we were in Exodus chapter 14. And you might recall that in Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel had recently been emancipated from Egypt. They were pressing toward the land of promise. There was only a problem. There was one problem. There was a Red Sea in front of them. There were mountains on both sides of them, and Pharaoh and his army was behind them. You remember? You remember that time they got there, and they began to criticize, and they, came, they, they were complaining. But the God who has been faithful to them that brought them to the Red Sea was the same God that brought them through the Red Sea. And now in Exodus chapter 15, we find the children of Israel being transitioned from the Red Sea to the wilderness of Shur. In fact, the children of Israel have now come to this wilderness place. And your Bible says that after a three-day journey into the wilderness, they were confronted with another obstacle. Because last time, there was an obstacle in front of them. There, was an obstacles, there were obstacles on both sides of them, and there were obstacles behind them. And yet God proved himself faithful to the children of Israel. But yet here it is in Exodus chapter 15, the children of Israel are now experiencing new obstacles. It seems like they just can't catch a break. That God delivered them from one thing, and now it seems like they're at another thing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had to deal with so many obstacles? It seems like once you get one thing conquered, it just pops up somewhere else. That's what the children of Israel are dealing with. They just conquered the Red Sea. They just conquered Pharaoh and his army, and yet now they're at another place of obstacle. Here it is. What's the obstacle, you ask? There is no water. Don't close your Bible. It's really a wonderful story. Your Bible says that three days into their journey, they discover they're in a place where there is no water. They're in the wilderness of Shur. But here's what I like about the story, that in this first scene, they're in this wilderness, this barren place, this place of desolation. The children of Israel discovered that they did not have what they needed where they were, so they were not willing to stay where they were. Because they did not have what they needed in the wilderness of Shur, they were willing to move, to transition, to change their location in order to be where God wants them to be. Imperative number one and scene number one is simply this. You cannot be afraid of change. I like this because the children of Israel realized that where they were, 
They did not have what they needed. So since they didn't have what they needed where they were, they were not content to stay where they were. There are many of us who say we don't like where we are physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, even relationally. We say we don't like where we are but we're not willing to make any changes in order to get where we ought to be. Amen. You cannot, we cannot be afraid of change in order to move to where God desires us to be. Because if you always do what you always do, then you always get what you always got. Nothing wrong with traditions, but sometimes traditions keep us stuck. I read a book a few years ago. I didn't tell the earlier crowd this, but I read a book a few years ago that just comes to mind now. And the title of the book was simply this, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I always loved that title. In fact, the title is what made me read the book. It was a book on change, that what got you here, the things you did to get you here, won't get you there, won't get you to the next step, because what got you here is what you did to get you here. But if you keep doing what got you here, it'll only get you here. You've got to do something different in order to get you there. Does that make sense? So praise God for what God did to get us here. But I stopped by here on my way to heaven this Sunday morning to say to you, it won't get you there. It won't get you to the next step. It won't get you to the next thing that God has for you. You cannot be afraid of change. Change is necessary. But then the scene shifts. The children of Israel kept moving forward. They were willing to move from where they were because they did not have what they needed where they were. And then your Bible says that they come to this place called Mara, M-A-R-A-H, Mara. And there they find water. They find water in Mara. There's only one problem. The Bible says that the water in Mara is bitter. So even though they have water, they can't drink the water that they have. The waters have been described as bitter. In fact, the waters are so bitter, the name of the place is named bitter. So even though they were willing to change their location, it really has not been helpful to their situation because now they have water that they cannot drink. They're in a bitter place. Have you ever been at a bitter place? In seasons of transition, in seasons of change, in times when leadership is in transition, it's easy for church members and people to become bitter, frustrated, discouraged. 
discouraged that we're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're going, and we're in this place of wandering and wondering and causes us to be cynical and bitter. Have you ever been there? That's where the children of Israel are because... God moved them from Egypt. He delivered them through the Red Sea. He moved them to, the, to Shur. There's no water in Shur, and now they're in a place where there's water, but the water that we have, we can't drink because the waters are bitter. And so when they find themselves in a place where the water cannot be, drink, the, cannot be drank, the children of Israel started murmuring, criticizing, and complaining. And over and over again, when we read the story of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, we see this theme reverberating within them. They, they begin to criticize their leadership. They begin to complain against their leadership. They begin to murmur against their leadership. And all I'm simply trying to help you understand is you don't want to be like the children of Israel who developed a critical, complaining, and murmuring spirit. That, that's what they did. They began to criticize Moses. Moses, why'd you bring us here? Moses, what are we going to drink? But I like what Moses, I like how Moses responds to their criticism and murmuring and complaining. Because the next verse says, or the next part of the verse says, that Moses cries out to the Lord. Moses prays. Moses realizes that he's in a situation that's bigger than him. That he's in a position that's bigger than his seminary education taught him. They didn't teach him how to take people from the wilderness or through the wilderness. They didn't teach him how to deal with people who complained and criticized and fought him every step of the way. They didn't teach him how to do that. And so what Moses does is Moses prays. Imperative number two, we must begin to prioritize prayer in our lives. We must remain prayerful. Amen. That's imperative, and that's important for us to understand that prayer must become a priority in each and every one of our lives, and prayer must become the priority of our churches. Moses cries out to the Lord. In fact, your Bible says that when Moses cries out to the Lord, he prays, the Lord shows him a tree. I like that because the tree was already there before Moses prayed. But when Moses prayed, God showed him what to do. Do you see the correlation there? They're at this place. They got water, but the water is bitter. Can't drink the water. People complaining, criticizing, and murmuring. So Moses cries out to the Lord, and God shows him what to do. Moses prays, and God shows him what to do. God shows him what to do because he prayed. 
There are a whole lot of us running around saying we don't know what to do. My question is, are you praying? Because when Moses prayed, God showed him. God showed him something that was always there, but because he asked God for direction and guidance and wisdom, God showed him what to do with what was already there. God, I wish y'all saw what I saw. (laughs) The waters were there, the people were there, the tree was there, but they didn't know what to do with the tree. And it wasn't until he sought God that God showed him the answer. It's true of Moses and the children of Israel, and it is also true of us, that if we really want the wisdom of God, then we must ask it of God. And the only way we must do that, or the way that we must do that is prayer must become the priority of our lives. God shows Moses the tree. That was already there. Nobody would think to dip a tree into bitter water, thinking that if I dip this tree, if I I put this tree in this water, it'll change the components of the water. Nobody would think that. And the only reason Moses knew to do that was because he asked God in Prayer. You want to know what to do with your life? Ask God. He knows you. He created you. He has a plan and purpose for you. Moses prays and God shows him. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13 says to us, uh, and, I, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 33 and 3, God says through his word, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Listen, my friends, if you want to know what God wants from you, ask God in prayer. Prayer must become the priority. But the scene shifts again. Because your Bible says that when Moses cast the tree into the water, the waters were made sweet. And then the Lord makes a statute and ordinance for them. Listen to what God says to them. In fact, your Bible says that he tests them there. Listen to what God said to the children of Israel. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which, you, which I brought onto, on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. 
So the Lord not only tests Moses, put the tree in the water, transformed the water from bitter to better, but then he tested the children of Israel. You've been wondering whether or not God will test you. Yes, God will test you. God will never ever tempt you, but God will test you. He tested them and he often tests us. He gives them these statutes and these ordinances, and listen to what God says to them. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God. And if you do what is right in his sight, and if you give ear to his commandments, and if you keep all of his commandments, this is what I will do. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Why? Because I am the Lord who heals you. So imperative number three. Imperative number three is simply this. We must remain focused on God. It's right here in the text. Listen to the emphasis that God was making to them. He was telling them, make sure that this is about me. Listen to what he says. If you pay attention to my voice, if you do what I say is right. If you listen to me, if you obey me, what God was saying to them and I believe saying to us is we must make sure that this is about him. That all that we do is about him. You don't want to just be a great church so people can pat you on the back and say, oh, you have a great church. You want to be a great church because you serve a great God who wants to do great things. So what God is saying to us, I believe, by example is we must make sure that we remain focused on him, that everything we do, everything we say, everything we sing, everything we preach and teach ought to be for his glory, for his praise, and for his honor. It ain't about you. God, that would drive my mother crazy when I would say that. She would say, ain't, ain't a word. But this is not about you. But yet we live in such a consumerism mindset of a churches where people think it's all about me. And people jump from church to church because they're looking for what meets their need. I don't like the song and the music that they sing at that church. Why can't they sing it the way we used to sing it? And now there's this whole worship wars that take places in so many churches where people fuss and fight about what kind of songs you're going to sing. Why can't we just sing hymns? Why do we need all those guitars and drums and Maybe some of y'all been saying some of that. It's just too loud. Why does it have to be loud? It's not about you. I don't mean to offend anybody, but I do mean to offend you. Not about you. It can't be about you and him. We have to determine whether or not we're really going to make this about us or make this about God. 
And I know, I know, I know you're saying, but what about the kind of music I like? Nothing wrong with the kind of music you like. You ought to love and enjoy as much of the music you like as you want in your private worship. I didn't tell the earlier crowd this, but this, this is going to be just, yeah, this is going to be some gravy for you. <laughs> so oftentimes, churches and members start fighting amongst each other over this whole idea of worship. And the question is, well, what do I do with getting my own needs filled? You feel your needs in your private worship. That means when I'm having my private worship, Monday through Saturday, at my house, in my car, I listen to whatever kind of music I like, as much of it as I like. I get my feel of it in my private worship, so that when I show up in the public worship, I'm not showing up in the public worship empty, waiting on somebody to feel me, because I'm already filled in my private worship. So when I show up in the public worship, I'm simply worshiping out of the overflow of what God did in my private worship. Then I'm not fussing about what they're singing in the public worship because my private worship has supplied everything that I need. So whenever you see people who are fussing and fighting about what's happening in the public worship, all that simply says to me is they're not having any private worship. Because when you have private worship, you show up at the public worship out of the overflow of what God did in the private worship. Does that make sense? So if you're not having any private worship, let me encourage you to worship God. Stop listening to Garth Brooks Monday through Friday or whatever you listen to. Listen to the kind of music that you say soothes your soul and listen to it to your heart's content. And then when you show up in the public worship, then as long as the song is for God's glory, you don't care whether or not there's drums and guitar. You don't get caught up in all of that stuff. We must make sure that we remain focused on God. So God says to the children of Israel, he gives them these four imperatives. Listen to me. Take heed to my voice. Do what I say is right. It doesn't matter what society says is right. It doesn't matter whether or not they pass laws and say you can do it. It doesn't matter if everybody else is doing it. It doesn't matter if it's socially acceptable. It does not matter. What does the word of God say about it? So God says, you do what I say is right. And if you do those things, I will protect you. I will protect you individually. I will protect you as a church family. I will protect you as a nation. I will protect you. But it has to be about me. 
Let me get on down the road. I know y'all are ready to go eat chicken. I know. I got you. So I've given you three. I don't remember what they were. Uh, we cannot be afraid of change. We must remain prayerful. We must make sure that God remains our focus. And fourthly, we must rely on the Holy Spirit in order to give us the strength that we need in order to obey God. So your Bible says that God tested them. He gives them these statutes and these ordinances, and he says to them that if you do these four things, I will protect you. The problem is, is as he tests them, he gives them a test that they cannot pass in their own strength. They're not strong enough. They're not committed enough. They're not diligent enough. They're not smart enough in order to do all that God commanded them to do. They're not smart enough and we're not smart enough. That's why we need the Holy Spirit working in us and through us that we might obey the commandments of God. So we must depend on the Holy Spirit. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit in Baptist churches enough. Actually, in many churches, we talk about God the Father. We celebrate God the Son. But when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, sometimes we shrink back as Baptists. I don't know whether we think we're going to become Pentecostal or charismatic or run around speaking in tongues. I'm not sure what it is, but we seem to shrink back. Listen, my friends, without the Holy Spirit working in and through you and I, we can never be everything that God has called for us to be. We need the full triune Spirit of God living in and through us. God Father, God Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three are one. We cannot do it without God working in us. We need, you, we're not smart enough. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord. So we must rely on God, even though the waters were sweet in Mara, the children of Israel knew that they had to keep moving forward. So we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Because remember, in chapter 14, verse 15, God said to the children of Israel, move forward. But the scene shifts again. I believe this is scene number four. Children of Israel kept moving forward and they come to a place called Elam. And when they get to Elam, they find 12 wells of water there and 70 palm trees. And your Bible says that they camped there by the waters. And you see the shift? They were in a place called Mara and the waters were sweet. They could have become content. Well, we got sweet waters. Let's just pitch tent and stay put. 
they realized that even though they were at a place where God was providing their needs, they were not content with just being there. That God had them on a journey. And so the children of Israel moved forward. And in the 27th verse, your Bible says that they come to this place called Elam, and there is abundance there. In fact, there are 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees. You see the abundance there? They moved from a place where there was no water to a place where there was bitter water that turned into better water, but it was still not the abundance of water that they received in verse 27. And I know that don't excite you about our God, but I serve an awesome, awesome God. And we serve an awesome God who is not content with us just being good because greater is possible. That God does not just want to give us a good life. He doesn't want to even just give us a great life. God wants to give us abundant life. God wants to give us eternal life. In fact, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not, should not perish but have everlasting life. What God wants to give to us is eternal everlasting life. Are you content with just having a good life? Are you consumed with pursuing a great life? question that I need each and every one of us to wrestle with is do you have eternal life? Because eternal life is found in Jesus Christ alone. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then you might have a good life on this side. You may even be achieving what society would call a great life with material things and financial abundance. That you may be considering that a great life. But true greatness will never be found on this side of glory. That true life is really found on the other side of the grave. And is dictated, determined by whether or not you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in just a second, we're going to invite you to make the most important decision you'll ever make in this world. In fact, that decision determines every other decision. It determines where you spend eternity. That it's not good enough just to have your name on the church roll and be an active member of the church. That's good, but that's, there's more to life than that. It's not good enough just to be a good church, able to pay the bills, call a pastor, provide resources and edification for the, its members. 
it's not even just good enough to be able to say where we're reaching our community. Because all over the state of Texas, there are millions of people, tens of millions of people who are perishing for all eternity. Let's not be content with just being good. Let's be great. Let's reach our community and reach our county and seek to reach our state and hope to reach our nation and hope to impact the world. That's what God's plan is. And the good news from glory, you ready for it? He wants to use you. Coastal Oaks family, God wants to use you for the advancement of his kingdom. Yes, little old you. God wants to use you not only just to reach your community, yes, to reach your community. Yes, to reach your county. Yes, to reach your state. Yes, to reach this nation. And yes, even to reach this world. But you can't do it if you're content with just being good. Let's be a people who, be, who want to be great. So how do we do it? Let me give you the five things again. We must not be afraid of change. We must remain prayerful. We must remain focused on God. We must depend on his spirit. And we must not be content with good when greater is possible.